the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering today's program. We're going to start out with some of the day's headlines, and then we'll turn our attention to the lighter side of the news. We'll also invite you to consider joining Comedian Nazareth, who's coming to the Portland area on Saturday night, 6 o'clock. All the details coming up in a conversation later this hour. Well, Iran today denied allegations that an Iranian missile brought down a Ukrainian jetliner that crashed in Tehran shortly after the nation fired missiles at American and coalition forces in retaliation for last week's airstrikes that killed top general Qassem Soleimani. Iranian officials called on the U.S. and Canada to share any information they have on the crash that killed 176 passengers and crew on board. Pentagon and other Western leaders Thursday said intelligence suggested the Ukrainian International Airlines flight was shot down by an Iranian anti-aircraft missile, perhaps unintentionally. Well, the latest developments come as Iran reportedly changed course on Friday and invited Boeing, a U.S.-based company, to help in its investigation into the crash. Ali Rabai, a spokesman for Iranian President Hassan Rouhani's administration, reportedly said officials from Ukraine, Boeing and France you're welcome to join Iran's Accident Investigation Committee. It marks a turnaround for, from a day earlier when Tehran said it would refuse to include the aerospace giant in its probe. Iran also slammed the U.S. for its psychological operation around the cause of the crash, saying it only adds salt to the injuries of the family members of those who perished. President Trump headlined his first major rally of the election year Thursday in Ohio and almost immediately slammed Democrats over their opposition to his order to take out Iranian General Qassem Soleimani. President Trump portrayed radical left Democrats as being more upset about the death of the horrible terrorist than about Soleimani's savage crimes. In unequivocal terms, he slammed House Democrats' non-binding war powers resolution, which passed earlier in the day, in a rebuke to the Soleimani strike. The president went on to suggest that Democrats, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and uh, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, in a less flattering description, both California Democrats would uh, have tipped off the media about the operation had they known about it ahead of time. That remark seemed to build on Republican Representative Doug Collins' uh, Wednesday night remark on Fox Business host Lou Dobbs, the Democrats are in love with terrorists. He later withdrew that uh, that comment. Separately, uh, Trump said he hoped former Vice President Joe Biden would win the Democrats' 2020 presidential nomination and pledged he would highlight what he called the Biden's corruption all throughout the campaign. All of this at the first rally of 2020 election year for President Trump. Well, Oprah Winfrey encouraged Prince Harry and Meghan Markle to break free from the British royals and follow their own path. That's what the New York Post reports. Winfrey, who attended the couple's wedding, is also close to Markle's mother advised them on a declaration of independence and told them to consider making a living in North America by building their own powerful brand. Markle and Prince Harry revealed on Wednesday that they would be stepping back as senior members of the royal family 
and would be splitting uh, time between the United Kingdom and North America, most likely Canada, while working to become financially independent. Oprah Winfrey has since come out saying she had nothing to do with the decision they have now announced. Well, the House passed a war powers resolution in rebuke of the president's actions against Iran. And in 2011, Pelosi said Obama did not need authorization to attack Libya. McConnell, Mitch McConnell, backs a measure to change the Senate rules and dismiss the impeachment without articles. And the president's administration is proposing major changes to bedrock environmental law. A judge has denied 70 percent of migrant asylum claims in 2019, reducing the overall numbers. And the number of people arrested or stopped entering the United States along the Mexico border fell rather for the seventh straight month in December. The Army won't reinstate elite status of a soldier given clemency by President Trump. And New Jersey gave a Texas church shooter plea deal, a plea deal that wiped out his gun felony. And the Golden State is considering a statewide ban on gas-powered garden tools. That's California. On this day in history, 1920, the League of Nations is established as the Treaty of Versailles, ending World War I, takes effect. On this day in 1776, Thomas Paine anonymously publishes his influential pamphlet, Common Sense, which argues for American independence from British rule. Perhaps someone should pin something similar now, but a different kind of common sense. On this day in 1946, the first General Assembly of the United Nations convenes in London. Also in 1946, on this date, the first man-made contact with the moon is made as radar signals transmitted by the U.S. Army Signal Corps are bounced off the lunar surface. 1967, President Lyndon Baines Johnson, in his State of the Union address, asks Congress to impose a surcharge on both corporate and individual income taxes to help pay for his Great Society programs, as well as the war in Vietnam. In 1984, the United States and the Vatican established full diplomatic relations for the first time in more than a century. And on this day in 1994, President Bill Clinton, attending a NATO summit meeting in Brussels, announces completion of an agreement to remove all long-range nuclear missiles from the former Soviet Republic of Ukraine. On this day, finally, in 2009, the aircraft carrier USS George Herbert Walker Bush is commissioned with its namesake, the 41st president and other members of the Bush family on hand for ceremonies at the Naval Station in Norfolk, Virginia. Well, President Trump told in an exclusive inter- uh, interview on Fox News, Laura Ingram, uh, that the imminent threat from Iran that provoked the United States to kill Iranian General Qassem Soleimani involved planned attacks on four U.S. embassies. Asked specifically what was targeted, Trump revealed, we will tell you that probably it was going to be the embassies in Baghdad. Pressing on whether large-scale attacks were planned for other embassies, the president said, I can reveal that I believe it probably wouldn't, um, would have been four embassies. Well, the exclusive interview with the president aired today um, on Fox News, or rather will air today at, I believe it's 7 p.m. Pacific time. The American embassy in Baghdad already faced an attack on New Year's Eve when demonstrators stormed the compound to protest American airstrikes against Iran-backed militia members. But there has been confusion over whether additional attacks were being planned at the embassy after the president told reporters Thursday they killed Soleimani because they were looking to blow up our embassy. The administration has repeatedly said that that strike was an act of self-defense to prevent what it described as an imminent threat against U.S. interests and troops. Earlier Friday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was grilled on the specifics of that threat as reporters quizzed him on what imminent meant. 
We had specific information on an imminent threat and that that threat stream included attacks on U.S. embassies, period. Full stop, he said. When later asked what he meant by imminent, he responded, it was going to happen. Well, during Friday's interview with Ingram, the president was also asked about whether the Iraqi backlash to the Soleimani strike could lead to U.S. troops leaving Iraq. I'm okay with that, the president said in response. But he dismissed recent calls from Iraqi officials to begin planning for the withdrawal of American troops from Iraq. That's what they, the Iraqis, say publicly. They don't say that privately, the president went on to say. Well, the U.S. uh, Special Operations Forces unsuccessfully tried to kill another top member of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard's elite Quds Force on the night General Qassam Soleimani was taken out by a drone strike. A senior U.S. official has confirmed the covert mission in Yemen, which was first reported on Friday by The Washington Post, was directed by Abdul Reza Shalaha, a commander and financier whom the State Department says was at the center of the botched 2011 plot to assassinate a Saudi ambassador on U.S. soil. We have seen the report of a January 2nd airstrike in Yemen, which is long understood as a safe space for terrorists and other adversaries to the United States. Commander uh, Rebecca Reberick, a um, Pentagon spokeswoman, said the Department of Defense does not discuss alleged operations in the region. U.S. officials that spoke to The Washington Post declined to offer details of the airstrike but failed to take out um, Shalaha. But one said if we had killed him, we'd be bragging about it that same night. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We certainly will turn our attention to the lighter side of the news after we finish looking at some of the day's headlines. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. It's a fun Friday program. We're going to shift to the lighter side of the news. Uh, but first, we want to finish up some of the news of the day. Also, want to mention I had the opportunity to attend a great movie. It was 1917 earlier this week. It's now available in theaters. It won the uh, Golden Globes Best Picture and is um, very likely an Oscar favorite. This is a great, great movie. Um, It uh, it takes place during World War I, and it's immersive, it's visceral, it's continuous. It plays as one continuous shot that requires the audience to kind of join the characters Uh, on this uh, journey that seems virtually impossible. These are two young soldiers. They're given an impossible mission to cross enemy territory through the trenches, through no man's land, and deliver an urgent message that's going to save the lives of 1,600 fellow soldiers, one of whom happens to be the brother of one of these two soldiers. It honors the sacrifice of an entire generation that fought in this war to end all wars that have uh, been forgotten. And these are ordinary, young, very young men who perform extraordinary acts of bravery. Uh, it's uh, beautiful. It's emotional. It's an absolute must-see. Open in theaters today uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. It's playing at select theaters. Let me encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to see it. Again, an Oscar favorite. Uh, won, voted the uh, best picture at the Golden Globes. You'll enjoy it. I did, and I think you will as well. 1917 in theaters this evening. We've been looking at uh, some of the day's news, and uh, Iran reportedly changed course on Friday and invited Boeing, the U.S.-based company, to help it uh, in its investigation into the Ukrainian jetliner that crashed in Tehran a day earlier. 
Uh, Tehran said it had uh, it would refuse to include the aerospace giant in its probe, even though it was a Boeing uh, craft that's drawn international attention, widespread speculation that a missile caused that crash that killed the 176 on board. Iran also slammed the U.S. for its psychological operation around the cause. A spokesperson for the Iranian president reportedly said officials from Ukraine, Boeing and France are now welcome to join Iran's accident investigation committee. They own the uh, Ukraine owned the plane. Boeing manufactured the aircraft and France built the engine. We advise the U.S. government to wait for the results of the accident investigation committee of the Ukrainian plane crash instead of spreading lie and carrying out their psychological operation. Uh, he said, it's unfortunate that the U.S. government and its uh, con- its uh, conscience are unaware companions uh, add salt to the injury of the families of the victims. Now, it's important to point out that the uh, prime minister from Canada and others have also said, yes, it appears that this is what happens and uh, this is what happened and that there seems to be footage that confirms events leading to the downing of their aircraft. Well, Iran's foreign ministry spokesperson um, also said in their local news agency on Friday that Iran has invited both Ukraine and the Boeing company to participate in the investigations. The report came after the Pentagon and other Western leaders on Thursday said intelligence suggested the Ukrainian International Airlines flight was, in fact, shot down by Iranian anti-aircraft missile. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced today that she will take steps next week to send impeachment articles to the Senate after delaying the process since last month in a bid to extract favorable terms for a trial. I have asked Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler to be prepared to bring the floor to the floor next week, a resolution to appoint managers and transmit articles of impeachment to the Senate. I will be consulting with you at your Tuesday House Democratic Caucus meeting on how we proceed further, Pelosi wrote in a letter to her colleagues. Well, the decision to release the articles came uh, as fellow Democrats in recent days. It started to voice frustration and impatience with the speaker's approach. They stressed the urgency with which impeachment was treated at the end of 2019 and questioned why the House would then delay a trial by using articles of leverage or using the articles rather as leverage. Asked about Pelosi's decision to move forward on Friday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said about time. Pelosi nevertheless uh, defended her approach in the memo, stressing important new information on the Ukraine controversy at the uh, heart of the impeachment that emerged during the interim. I am very proud of the courage and patriotism exhibited by our House Democratic Caucus as we support and defend the Constitution, she wrote. She continued to press the Senate as she has for weeks to conduct a fair trial with witnesses and documents. In an impeachment trial, every senator takes an oath to do impartial justice according to the Constitution. This is really rich coming from her and having observed what happened in the House. She went on to say every senator now faces a choice to be loyal to the president or the Constitution. No one is above the law, not even the president. She demands um, uh, she's demand in recent demanded rather in recent days calling on McConnell to reveal the resolution that would set the terms for the trial before she would transmit the articles of impeachment. Pelosi and her allies seemingly wanted a committee to, uh, commitment to call certain Democrats sought witnesses and at least learn more about McConnell's plans. But he wouldn't budge, insisting that the Senate first launch the trial and then resolve issues surrounding witnesses later, declaring that he would not haggle with Pelosi and accusing her Thursday of playing irresponsible games. While Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had largely backed Pelosi in calling for commitments from McConnell, other Democratic senators began this week to pressure the House to get moving. I think it's time Time to turn the articles over. Senator Joe Manchin said on Wednesday, uh, let's see where the Senate can take it. Even Senator Dianne Feinstein called out Pelosi for the delay. 
saying the longer it goes on, the less urgent it becomes. So if it's serious and urgent, send it over. That uh, If it isn't, don't send it over. Senators Angus King of Maine, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Chris Coons of Delaware, all Democrats, also came out this week calling for the process to move along. I respect the fact that she is concerned about the fact about whether or not there will be a fair trial, Coons told Political this week, but I do think it's time to get on with it. Well, McConnell has repeatedly said the resolution to govern the impeachment trial in the Senate would mirror the one used for then-President Bill Clinton's impeachment trial in 1991, setting a time frame for the trial to begin with the opportunity for lawmakers to determine how to proceed on potential witness testimony and additional documents later after both the defense and the prosecution make their opening statements. McConnell said earlier this week he has the votes needed to pass the resolution and begin the trial once he receives the articles. In impeachment, most resolutions can pass with a simple majority, which would be 51 votes in the Senate. To remove the president from office, though, it would take 67 votes. After Pelosi's announcement on Friday, Senator Chuck Grassley blasted the speaker for the delay, saying Speaker Pelosi threw the United States Congress into unnecessary chaos with this pointless delay. Grassley said in a statement, from the beginning, it's been unclear what the goal of this hurry up and wait tactic was and what the country stood to gain. We now know the answer was nothing. We've had three weeks of uncertainty and confusion, causing even more division, he added. Regardless, I will take my role as a juror seriously and review the evidence presented by both sides before making my determination. Meanwhile, the next step for Pelosi will be to determine who will serve as House managers to prosecute the case against the president in the Senate trial. Last month, bipartisan sources said that the several names have been floated to make the case for the president's removal. Likely candidates include um, Jerry Nadler from New York, whose panel drafted the articles of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of uh, Congress. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, who led much of the impeachment inquiry out of his committee with dramatic hearings to develop the case against the president. House Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries and Representative Jamie Raskin, a constitutional lawyer. Other possible candidates include Democrats who were more outspoken during the impeachment hearings, like Representative David uh, Cicilline and Eric Swalwell. Sources have said that other names being floated to include uh, representatives Pramila Jayapal, Val Demings, who served as the first female police official in Orlando, Zoe Lofgren of California, who was involved in the impeachment of former President Bill Clinton and was a staffer during the congressional investigation into former President Richard Nixon. During Clinton's impeachment in 1999, there were 13 House impeachment managers. A source familiar with the planning said that Pelosi is expected to appoint fewer than that. Finally, spiritual author Marianne Williamson announced on Friday she is ending her Democratic bid for president, acknowledging she hasn't been able to attract adequate support to stay in the race. The unconventional candidate said in a message to supporters that I stayed in the race to take advantage of every possible effort to share our message. With caucuses and primaries now about to begin, however, we will not be able to garner enough votes in the election to elevate our conversation any more than it is now. The the primaries might be tightly contested among the top contenders, and I don't want to get in the way of a progressive candidate winning any of them. As of today, therefore, I am suspending my campaign, she said. Well, the news doesn't come as a surprise. Williamson laid off her entire campaign staff, both at her her national headquarters and in the uh, early voting states earlier this month. It comes just weeks before the Iowa caucuses kick off the nominating caucus and primary season. Again, Marianne Williamson withdraws from the Democratic presidential contest. Coming up, we're going to hear from comedian Nazareth. Yeah, he's coming to Portland on Friday, or should say Saturday, 
And we'll give you all the important details if you'd like to be a part of that night of comedy. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. If you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as I mentioned, there's something coming to the Portland metro area that you need to be fully aware of. And that's coming up on Saturday, January 11th. Nazareth is returning. Now, you know you've really made it when you're just known by your first name. It's not Nazareth Smith or Nazareth Johnson. Nazareth is a comedian who's been here to the Portland area. In fact, one year ago, the same date that he's returning here to Northwest Christian Church in Tigard. And we're just excited that comedian Nazareth is returning after his sold out show last year at this time. So he originally came from the Holy Land, has been um, honing his talents as a comedian for 25 years, has finally got it right. He joins us today to talk about the special night of comedy that's coming up this Saturday night. Nazareth, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate that. I am excited to come back, and hopefully the weather is not as cold. Uh, well, can't make any promises there. <laughs> so bring a heavy jacket. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from California. Anything under 50 is evacuation weather for us. <laughs> Be prepared to evacuate. We're excited that you're coming back, and my understanding is, in fact, I've invited him to join us for this conversation. My understanding is James Blend is going to be a part of your show this Saturday? That's one of my rules. It's like if I said, if you want me to come to Portland, you need to open the show for me. And last year, he did, he did, uh, he opened for 10 minutes and and he did a great job. Then I took over and I got to be honest, nobody knew that in the audience. But in the green room, I was laying on the floor. I was very sick. I I don't know what happened, a virus or something, but I flew in in the morning. I couldn't even walk, but I I flew in and seven o'clock, right when it was time for me to go on stage, I said, "Lord Jesus, I just want your strength." And we had a great time, almost a standing ovation. I think we had. And this year, I am healthy. I'm excited. We're gonna do some new material, and people gonna laugh. I I love to see Georgina. I love to see people laugh because uh, it's great for them. We are living in a time where yeah. everybody's anxious, stressed, scared. So it's really, it's, it's doing something for themselves. Say, hey, I'm going to do something for me this year. I'm going to take time. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go laugh for an hour and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do you gain the confidence that, yeah, I'm funny enough to entertain an audience of people I've never met? I mean, that sounds terrifying to me. When James <laughs> opened for you last year, I felt like a mother, you know, worried about her son and his first recital. How do you gain the confidence that, yeah, this is not only funny, but this is going to be funny enough to amuse a, an audience in Portland? 30 years, 4,000 shows, and uh, <laughs> I think, I, I don't know. The only thing I know about my car is I can put the gas in the gas tank. I don't do anything around the house. I always have handy people do that. All I know in the last 30 years is how to do comedy and how to read my Bible. That's the two things I can share from the Word of God. I can do comedy, a full-time comedian. So, yeah, I you know, I, I take my craft seriously every year. I want to be a better Nazareth than I am the year before. So, really, I take a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to get better. So, it becomes a technique to where you get the audience to laugh and to just, uh, you know, relax, put their wall down, enjoy themselves, to let them know, hey, I'm not here to, to say anything that's going to offend you. I'm not here going to say something that's going to be blue or dark or you, your daughter or your grandma is going to be 
offended at. I'm just going to have fun. And for me, my goal is to make people laugh. And then at the end, uh, just share the joy of Jesus with them. Yeah. Boom. That's it. And you do such a great job at that. I remember the first time I heard your uh, your comedy was at a pastor's appreciation event. And I have to admit, I started out a little bit skeptical. Okay, where where is he going to go with this? <laughs> I was so impressed. Uh, and I was thrilled that you came back um, shortly after uh, that event. It seems to me that comedians have to be some of the more deep thinkers and observers in our culture because you not only are aware of what's going on, but you see sort of underneath it some of the threads that that uh, merit um, uh, our, our laughter and help us to kind of put uh, put us at ease through some of the challenges that we face. You know, I hear that a lot, and you try to be humble about it. But people were saying, like, you know, comedians are the philosophers of our day. They're the ones that see things but say it in a way that kind of catches people, make them laugh. If we shared it with seriousness, what we see and how we think life is, you know, weird and crooked, then people might not laugh or they might not read what we say. But when we do it with humor, people uh, people really get impressed by it and it affects them and it yeah, you know, so, yeah, I mean, all the comedian friends I know, we're, we're all in high IQs because you have to be to know, you know, to look at life, to look at things different. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe we could be just weird people that never... <laughs> or a combination <laughs> of both. <laughs> of both, yeah, that's right. Sometimes I feel that, yeah. I do feel like we, we're, we're different kind of thinkers, Nazareth, in the sense that we're always observing the world around us, and I don't know that everybody always is. It's, it's kind of one of those things where you're almost always looking for the joke, but at the same time, it, it, you have a different perspective Lee? on watching the world. Okay, is this Lee talking? This is James. James Vine. Okay. See, you guys sound the same on radio. Everybody on radio sounds the same. <laughs> or Georgine, of course, sounds a lot more feminine than that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, James, you know, uh, we, we do. Uh, I, I, I was trying to figure out if that's Lee or James. So th- what was the question again? Oh, that ruins my last. <laughs> well, just the, just the observation that w- the, there's a different kind of thinking involved when you do comedy, that your your observation skills are always, uh, no matter what the situation, they're always watching the world in, in ways that not everybody is. You're right. We're like, uh, we feel sometimes like we're outside of ourselves looking in at the world, what we're doing, how we're saying things, what people saying to us. And, and I just like this morning, I was like, Someone was saying like a big ticket item, like a car. I was like, what is a big ticket? You never go to get a ticket to buy a car. <laughs> a big ticket item is when you park the car in the wrong place. That's what a big ticket item. <laughs> so I'm just thinking this thing this morning. It's not a joke yet, but that's how we look at life. That's how you see the world. Well, I want to yeah. remind our listeners that you're going to be here on Saturday. That's the 11th of January, 6 o'clock p.m. at Northwest Christian Church in Tigard uh, on Southwest Hall Boulevard. You can go to kpdq.com for all the important details. Details and to purchase your tickets. If you need a good laugh to start out the new decade, the new year, this is a great way to do that. Nazareth has become a favorite uh, to KPDQ and Fish listeners here in the Pacific Northwest. So we're just delighted that you're coming back. You know, sometimes I look at comedians like musicians because it's not just a matter of telling a joke or seeing something in a humorous way. The timing is important. You have to know when to pause. You really have to kind of uh, choreograph and orchestrate the way you communicate and that takes a real skill do you see yourself as kind of a musician uh we do look ourselves our artists any any answer other than that will make james nervous on saturday but uh, <laughs> you don't need that but yes you're right you know we look at the whole show we look at who's in the audience what age group what's that 
what kind of material, what's going on in the world right now. And, and then you start writing material that really not only can uh, be funny, but people can relate to it, yeah. you know. And then with me as a Christian who at the end, I want to bring the joy of Christ at the end, just encourage people. So so I like to pick, pick material that actually lifts people up. And, and you know, when I do uh, secular comedy or, you know, mainstream club, comedians who are not crazy go, how can you do that? Comedy is about you know, being, you know, things going wrong, being depressed. It's about problems, about tragedy. How can you make it uh, positive? And I go, I just look at, you know, how my life is going, what God is doing in my life, and I share that, and there's great news. That's why I want to tell the listeners, you know what, if you know someone, a friend, a co-worker, a relative, who's really having a hard time or maybe down or stressed or anxious, that would be a great way to gift and say, hey, mm. you know what? I got you a ticket. Come with me. Let's laugh together. You know, some people want to, you know, they have a group of, you know, their life group or their Bible study group. And they go, hey, let's go laugh for this Saturday together. And and if you're a parent and go, you know what? I should bring my family because maybe my kids haven't seen me laugh in the last years. I've been just, don't do this, don't do that. So that's a good way to see the family laughing together. So oh. it, you guys putting this event is really you're helping the community. Yeah, absolutely. Great suggestions. And I have to say that Nazareth is so masterful at combining the humor with the important things in life. You're going to have a great time this Saturday, 6 o'clock p.m., Northwest Christian Church. Go to kpdq.com for all the important details. Nazareth, we're looking forward to having you here. And thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much. And James, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you perform. Thank you. Uh, and vice God versa. You guys. Vice versa. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you Saturday. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. And as promised, we are going to focus the remainder of today's attention on the lighter side of the news. I thought you were going to say on me. Well, the lighter side of the news and you, roughly equivalent. That's true. I, I kind of am the embodiment of the lighter side of the news, aren't yes. I? Yes, absolutely. Well, what about this? Americans wake up on the wrong side of the bed 300 times a year, according to a new study, meaning only about 65 mornings are good mornings, according to new research. That sounds like about 65 more than I have a year. <laughs> Well, um, with outside noise, temperature, and unusual dreams at the root causes of this disruption, Americans wake up feeling grumpy an average of six times a week. This survey of 2,000 Americans, a very small sampling, by the way, found respondents wake up from temperature issues approximately three times a week and at least once from both outside noise and unusual dreams or nightmares. That sounds about right. Results found that those surveyed will only spend a quarter of a year getting full, uninterrupted night's sleep. I figure I will eventually get a good night's sleep. And when I say that, people are like, oh, you mean when your daughter is old enough? That's what I'm thinking. I was actually thinking when you retire. (laughs) So another 15, 20 years. Exactly. So which is about the same track as, as, you know, Verity probably moving out. But, you know. Thank you. I'm sure that was there was a compliment in there somewhere. I'm I'm having a hard time finding it. I don't know. You know. I think it was just a general statement. I don't think it was intended either as a positive or negative. It was neutral. (laughs) Well, the study says that for the rest of the year, respondents will spend an average of 90 minutes lying awake in the middle of the night. That means waking up twice a night on average and staying awake for about 45 minutes each time. That's not surprising as 72% of those surveys reported needing more or better quality sleep. Maybe a mattress, maybe lights out, maybe 
Who knows? Three in 10 respondents point the finger at stress and anxiety, causing them to wake unexpectedly from their slumber. Other common culprits included needing to use the restroom and temperature issues. Hmm. And, you know, they tell us uh, not having sufficient sleep is a very serious matter long term. Well, the good news is, again, as I've, as I've explained on many occasions here on this show, I do get my daily nap in from four to six. I'm sorry, were you talking? I, you know, I'm not sure I was. <laughs> well, the holidays are supposed to be a time to come together with family and celebrate. But a new survey found that most Americans can barely get through an evening with their family before needing a break. Oh, that's the truth. Again, a total of 2,000 Americans, a pretty small sampling, who usually travel to visit family during the holidays took part in this research. And 75% of them say they'll inevitably need to get away from their relatives and indulge in some much-needed me time. Yeah, that's that is so first world me time. First in world. fact, it only takes respondents an average of three hours and 54 minutes before they start to feel sick of their families. So how are people finding some peace and quiet? Well, according to the survey commissioned by Motel 6, one in four Americans will find a quiet room in their relative's home to hide away. Meanwhile, 37% take things a step further and fabricate an excuse to leave the party altogether. I have that problem less with my family than I do my wife's family. And before you go, oh, my goodness, he's, he's slamming his in-laws on, on the uh, radio program. I'm Said really it for not. me. Um, the, the reality of it is my wife comes from a much bigger family than I do. And so I'm used to much smaller crowds at the holidays and I'm not a big crowd person. I'm so this pretty is a, introverted. A crowd issue, it's not a, crowd a personality issue. It issue. is not a personality issue whatsoever. I am really glad you clarified I, because I, I do not, sure I, was I do not want you moving in with Dan Rice and me. Oh no, it, my, my wife is very understanding of it. She understands the limits of my, uh, introvertedness and, uh, you know, I do get my alone time when I need to kind of decompress. And, and you know, I, I've been around the family enough that they get it, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, despite all that stress, 60% of respondents say that they still make the journey to visit relatives every year because quality family time doesn't happen all that often. Another 53% say they still find ways to enjoy their holiday visits. And 47% say staying with family is cheaper and more convenient. And that's what getting together with family is all about, cheaper and more convenient. Now, I have to say, I don't have this issue at all. I love spending time with my family and don't get enough of it. And we enjoy one another. And so I feel sorry for those who don't. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, it, for me, it's not an enjoyment thing. I think if it was mm-hmm. you know, even, uh, you know, even uh, when we have our, our, our gathering every year for Christmas, which I really enjoy, and I really enjoy all of our people and all our, all our company. And uh, I still, by the end of it, mentally exhausted. Just because I've had there are so many things that I could say that I it's called I I'm an extreme introvert is what I it's won't called say them I'm just an extreme introvert well here's one thing you might consider okay. next time your family gets together an Arizona man's emotional support animal is creating quite a buzz Prescott Valley Arizona he's a resident there David Keller he thinks the application process to register an emotional support animal is too easy so he tried registering a swarm of bees as his service pet oh gosh. <laughs> And this sounds like a nightmare to me. It worked. It worked. Emotional support bees. Yes. A lot of people thought it was how, hilarious. How do you get the vest on them? I do not know. And a lot of people were getting upset, he told CBS affiliate WTRF-TV. He recently went on a website called USAServiceDogRegistration.com and successfully uploaded a random photo of a beehive as a service animal to bring awareness to the issue that anyone could do this. 
Well, Keller was inspired to go through with the registration after seeing a service dog that was visibly untrained. I could very easily tell that it was not a service animal because it was pulling the owner to the parking lot. I was thinking that it's just too easy to get these animals to be service animals. Well, the website he used to register his swarm of bees is one of many that make the application process for emotional pets too easy, according to experts. So an emotional support swarm of bees. Oh, what does it support you from, getting hives? <laughs> I don't know, but I can guarantee you your family gatherings would be much shorter if you had an emotional Well, the problem is bees. I'd be the first one to leave in that scenario. You know <laughs> I have a staunch fear of bees. Now, is that all bees, bumblebees, black bees? Oh, I yeah, no. Anything. Hornets, yellow yes, jackets? Absolutely. Yeah, all bees. So if it buzzes, you're not into it. Uh, I even look skeptically at flies. Really? I, I will double. T- I'll always do a double take when I hear a fly, just to make sure. So it's specifically the bee and not the insect nature of the bee. Correct. Huh. Note to self: keep jar with bee at desk. Arriving unannounced, snooping around, breaking something are the top three no-no guests can commit while staying in someone's home, according to a new data. Now, this is, you know, following the holiday season when people right. were coming and going, staying with relatives, leaving, maybe staying too long. A new survey of, guess how many, 2,000 Americans recently explored the concept of guest room etiquette. And they unveiled the biggest faux pas guests can commit while staying with a host, family member or not. And with the holiday season, uh, 60% of Americans surveyed will be staying with family and did uh, for an extended visit in a guest room. Conducted by one poll on behalf of Mattress Firm, the study found that being too loud, smoking, leaving a mess uh, all top the list of things to avoid during uh, a guest in someone's home visit. That was awkwardly put, but you get the idea. Also scoring high rank, uh, high marks rather on the list of annoying guest habits were coming back intoxicated, being too demanding with the host, bringing an extra guest without warning, eating food in the house without asking first. Knowing when to say goodbye is appreciated. The average respondent said that guests are officially overstaying their welcome after three nights, unless there's been some prearrangement. The survey found that one in five Americans, or 21%, will be hosting someone this year, and even with the pre- Previously mentioned faux pas, 63% of respondents said they enjoy hosting friends and family. Now, if you are among those hosting, there are a few things you can do to make your guest feel at home. The top five ways respondents say hosts can go above and beyond is simply to be helpful when the guests have a question, provide extra towels for the bathroom, display the Wi-Fi password, provide extra toiletries, and have a comfy bed. When refreshing a guest room, prioritize the essentials over fancy decor, says a mattress firm's lifestyle expert. Crisp, clean sheets, supportive pillows, and a comfortable mattress are upgrades that make a huge impact. Of course, mattress firm is standing by to sell you one if you don't already have it. It seems um, a nice guest bed is a tough commodity to come by, and guests aren't afraid to tell their hosts according to the results. The guest room mattress is often overlooked because as hosts, we're not the ones sleeping on it, Post says. Before guests arrive, make sure you give your guest room mattress a good inspection. Does it have lumps and bumps? Uh, If it's over seven years old, you should replace it. And, of course, mattress firm is apparently ready to help you in that department. Shall, shall we uh, take a break and rest? Yes, perhaps so. So you are now prepared for 2020, whether you are spending time with family, you are a guest, or you're hosting. Now yeah. you know. And you're hosting right now. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check the mattress to make sure it's okay if you stop by. 
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show in which we have jettisoned the more important news we covered earlier in the program. And we're looking at the lighter side of the news. With me in studio is James Blend. I simply cannot get him out, so he's co-hosting the program. That's funny. I seem to remember you threatening me that I couldn't leave. Well, there's that, too. Okay. There's this. National Review is reporting the world is getting better. It's just that no one tells you about it. So if you're a little discouraged by all the things that are going on, um, a special morning jolt today. uh, As you try to get through these long days of the new year, you might want to consider some breathtaking advances to encourage you along the way. You'll be stunned when you realize how many dramatic breakthroughs have been made against uh, some of the most common and deadly diseases and ailments out there. One, a new blood test could detect breast cancer five years before other clinical signs manifest. Uh, This could be available to patients in four to five years. Separately, a new treatment for early stage breast cancer could wipe out a growth in just one treatment. Wow. Two, a new three-drug uh, three combination therapy could provide significant help up to 90% of those suffering from cystic fibrosis. Three, we could soon see a pill that can prevent heart attacks in high-risk patients. Drug maker Amarin uh, shocked the world last year when a long-running clinical uh, trial showed that its medicine derived from purified fish oil and some other things substantially reduced the risk of cardiovascular events like heart attacks in high-risk patients. In November, a panel of experts convened by the Food and Drug Administration reviewed Amarin's uh, data. They voted 16 to 0 that, I guess it's called Vascapa, was safe and cuts cardiovascular events. Number four, Israeli researchers think they've discovered that a molecule designed to help uh, stroke victims may be a new way to wipe out pancreatic cancer, which is one of the toughest cancers to treat. And there have been some recent uh, celebrities who've come out and a member of uh, Congress coming out saying that they have uh, pancreatic cancer. Number five, the Mayo Clinic injected stem cells derived from fat cells into a paralyzed patient's spine, and the patient is now walking again. This treatment may not work as well for every patient, but it provides new hope for everyone facing paralysis. That's fat. I mean, fascinating. I don't yeah. say that sarcastically. You can get stem cells from fat cells? Well, you can. Number six, a new vaccine could eliminate allergies to cats. You can get stem cells from fat cells. Yeah. If there's anybody medical out there looking for stem cells from fat cells, I've got a <laughs> lot of donations I'm willing to make. Wow. You're a, you're a saint being willing to. I'm a to... giver. I'm a giver. Yeah. Earlier this year, number seven, UC San Francisco researchers managed to transform human stem cells into mature insulin-producing cells, a major breakthrough in the effort to develop a cure for type 1 diabetes. Wow. Number eight, in July, researchers successfully eliminated HIV from the DNA of an infected uh, mouse for, or infected mice for the first time, bringing them one step closer to curing the virus in humans. Number nine, Uh, Two new treatments for the deadly Ebola virus saved roughly 90% of the patients who were newly infected. Number 10, gene therapy developed at St. Jude's Children's Hospital has cured infants born with X-linked severe combined immunodeficiency, more commonly known as bubble boy disease. The children are producing functional immune cells, introducing T cells, B cells, and natural killer NK cells for the first time. Keep headlines... um, your eyes poised on the headlines, there could, in fact, be more. 
Let's see, number 11. Um, where's number 11? It's usually after number 10. Well, I don't see number 11. Well, um, we'll go on to number 12. Um, the U.S. Census Bureau's latest report on income and poverty, which came out in October, that report found real median family income up 1.2 percent from 2017 to 2018, real median earnings up 3.4 percent, the number of full-time year-round workers increased by 2.3 million, and the poverty rate declined from 12.3 percent to 11.8 percent, with 1.4 million people leaving poverty. Number 13, despite uh, predictions that Amazon um, was going to put a bookstore out of uh, business, the number of independent bookstores keeps rising each year. The most recent figures, 1,887 independent bookselling companies running 2,525 stores. So there. Uh, Number 14, the cost of lithium-ion batteries is down about 87% over the past decade, which makes electric vehicles a more cost-effective option for transporting people and goods. Number 15, um, that's a lot of ugly trade wars and and tariffs going on, but um, there is progress on some fronts. Japan just approved a deal that will lower the or remove tariffs on $7.2 billion in U.S. farm goods, including a gradual reduction of its 38.5% duty on American beef to 9%. Number 16, in September, for the first time in 70 years, the United States uh, imported, or rather exported, more crude oil and petroleum products than it imported per day. Back in 2006, we were importing 13 million barrels a day. Around that time, Americans set out to reduce its independence on foreign oil. Thanks to fracking and innovation, we've done it. Turning our attention to the environment, bald eagles, once an endangered species list, are now so plentiful that San Bernardino National Forest officials are ending their annual count. That 17, number 18, would arrive from over in the United Kingdom. A new study of endangered carnivorous mammals finds two of the three rarest carnivores, pine marten and polecat, have staged remarkable recoveries, while the third, wildcat, continues to be threatened by hyper, let's see, hybridization, hybridization. Meanwhile, akin to pine martens and polecats, the formerly rare and restricted otter has uh, recovered much of its former range and it's increasing in density. Uh, Let's see, number 19, the world is literally a greener place than it was 20 years ago. And data from NASA satellites has revealed a counterintuitive source Uh, For much of this new foliage, China and India, a new study shows that the two emerging countries with the world's biggest populations are leading the increase in greening on land. The effect stems mainly from ambitious tree planting programs in China and intensive agriculture in both countries. Number 20, NASA also found that abnormal weather patterns in the upper atmosphere over Antarctica dramatically limited ozone depletion in September and October, resulting in the smallest ozone hole observed since 1982. Number 21, a study unveiled in November estimates that humpbacks in the western South Atlantic region now number 24,900, nearly 93% of their population size before they were hunted to the brink of extinction. Good news, crews of the Enterprise, you may not need to use a stolen Klingon ship to find out the humpbacks uh, to save in the future. So you can essentially just eliminate that movie altogether. That's terrible. That was probably one of the better Star yeah, Trek movies. Was. Uh, number 22, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration spotted and recorded video of a kraken. 
Okay, a giant squid that was at least 10 feet long, only about 100 miles southeast of New Orleans, shortly before their vessel was uh, struck by lightning. Okay, technically, this could be bad news. Turning our attention overseas, you heard about the raid against al-Baghdadi and the collapse of the Islamic State. You probably didn't hear that the number of ISIS fighters in Afghanistan is now reduced to uh, around 300 300 fighters in Afghanistan from the estimated 3,000 earlier this year. That's 23. 24 would be the impact of terrorism. We won't know 2019's numbers until um, after a few months, but deaths from terrorism fell for the fourth consecutive year in 2018. After peaking in 2014, the number of deaths has now decreased by 52 percent since 2014. Number 25, the number of malaria infections recorded globally has fallen for the first time in several years. In 2018, Cambodia reported zero malaria-related deaths for the first time in the country's history. India also reported a huge reduction in infections with 2.6 million fewer cases in 2018 than in the previous year. Number 26, tensions between India and Pakistan got worse overall this past year over Kashmir, but India and Pakistan managed to cooperate on breaking ground on a new peace corridor that will allow more than 5,000 Sikh pilgrims to travel back and forth across the normally impassable border free, uh, border uh, visa free for the first time in 72 years. 27, Israeli scientists have genetically engineered an E. coli bacteria that eat carbon dioxide. Wow. Number 28, through 31, um, come from the realm of remarkable discoveries about our past. Archaeologists made amazing discoveries in the past year. A 1,300-year-old rook found in the Jordanian desert may be the world's oldest chess piece. They discovered a new humanoid Nazca line of, in Peru some, uh, sometime 4th century B.C. and 6th century A.D. in what is today Iran. Some civilization built a, a big, beautiful wall running about 71 miles. It appears Mexico didn't pay for that one either. And in Jerusalem, archaeologists found that a, a, a grand street running from the Siloam Pool to the Temple Mount was built by some guy named uh, Pontius Pilate. You hear about this stuff a lot less because articles and television segments about these developments don't make you uh, more likely to respond, but these are some good developments over the... Uh, so how, how old was that rook that they found in the desert? Uh, let, me, let me look that back up. How old was the rook? It was 1,300 year old, years old. That's no surprise. Isn't that about the average length of a chess match? Yeah, and just about that slow. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at the lighter side of the news and maybe even some things to rejoice about. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend has wandered in and refuses to leave, so I turn the mic on. Oh, I kind of wish I hadn't. I was looking for the restroom. <laughs> yeah, well. After the show. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, the Miami couple who purchased a much-talked-about piece of art consisting of a banana duct-taped to the wall for $120,000 acknowledged the absurdity of the artwork and said they planned to gift it to the museum. Billy and Beatrice Cox said they believe the artwork titled Comedian will become iconic They spent the money after seeing the public debate it sparked about art and our society. We're acutely aware of the blatant absurdity of the fact that Comedian is an otherwise inexpensive and perishable piece of produce and a couple of inches of duct tape, the Coxes said. Ultimately, we sense that the artist 
uh, and his banana will become an iconic historical object. Okay, perishable is the operative word here. Uh, They plan to loan and eventually gift the banana to an unspecified art museum. Okay. Yes, the banana itself will need to be replaced. They acknowledged the expensive piece of produce was the talk of the art um, uh, art world in Miami at a festival there last uh, last month with critics lambasting the conceptual artwork of Italian artist Maurizio Catalan uh, as evidence of wealth inequality. Three editions uh, were sold ranging from 120000 to $150,000. Yeah, that, that spurred a lot of interesting memes on the Internet in the days after that. Uh, yeah. With pretty much everything you could think of taped duct tape to a wall, <laughs> including people. Uh, but uh, I think the overall thing is th- it's the perishable nature. They, they mentioned that the banana will have to be replaced. Regularly. Uh, it's like, uh, Maybe you get one made of wax? Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, it's, but would it have the same still... weight and import if it were a, uh, a banana that does not perish? No, but would it have the same stench and mold either? Well, there is that. Yeah. And fruit flies. A lot of fruit flies. Yeah. Well, a 17-year-old NASA intern has made a stunning discovery. His name is Wolf Kukier. He's a student at Scarsdale High School in New York. Was just three days into his summer internship at NASA when he made a remarkable discovery. Well, Kukier has um, just finished his junior year when he started his internship at NASA's Goddard's Space Flight Center in Goddard, uh, Maryland, last summer. Within just a few days, he made an incredible find while sifting through variations in star brightness captured by the space agency's transiting exoplanet survey satellite, or TESS, uploaded to the Planet Hunter's TESS Citizen Science Project. There's a mouthful. He says, I was looking through the data uh, for everything, and the the, uh, volunteers had flagged as an eclipsing binary. Are you following this? A system where two stars circle around each other and, uh, from our view, eclipse each other after every orbit. Well, he said, about three days into my internship, I saw a signal from a system called TOI-1338. At first, I thought it was a stellar eclipse, but the timing was wrong. It turned out to be a planet. The planet, again, you might want to write this down, TOI-1388b, don't forget the B, is the first circumbinary planet or world orbiting two stars that has been spotted using TESS data. TOI-1338b is about 6.9 times larger than Earth, uh, which means that it is between the size of Saturn and Neptune. And this 17-year-old kid, just making his way through the data, was the one to discover it. Yeah, it's a pretty good thing that, that they differentiate this because I believe if you go to TOI 1338A, it's actually a Starbucks with no drive through. <laughs> very inconvenient. Very, very inconvenient if you drink Starbucks. But otherwise, my head just hurts listening to that. <laughs> well, Tic Tac and Coca Cola are collaborating. I'll pause so you can say why. Uh, for a limited edition soda flavored mint. Again, why? Why? Well, the mint company has created a limited edition Coca-Cola Tic Tac made with the soda. Okay, soda and mint, the two flavors everyone wants combined. No, not no, really. Pr- no, pretty no. much not. No. no. Well, like it or not, Tic Tac has done just that with a new limited edition Tic Tac Coca-Cola breath mint. According to Tic Tac, the unique combo will have fans enjoying a revitalizing taste experience, which combines the refreshment of Coca-Cola with the iconic taste of Tic Tac. 
Well, Tic Tac, a brand owned by Ferraro Company in um, Italy, originally announced the product's launch back in October, but only recently revealed that Tic Tac Coca-Cola will be coming to North America in late January, just days away. This is, unsurprisingly, the first mint made with the refreshment of Coca-Cola, Tic Tac said in its news release. According to Tic Tac, the unique combo will have fans enjoying a revitalizing taste. This isn't Coca-Cola's first foray into other markets this year, however. That would be 2019, although it's it's uh, debuting in 2020. Back in October, the fan favorite soft drink announced it would be rolling out its first ever energy drink, Coca-Cola Energy, in 2020. The forthcoming beverage will be available in both original and cherry varieties, as well as zero-sugar versions of each. But Coke Energy and even the limited-edition Coca-Cola Tic Tac will likely be easier to find than the brand's apple-flavored Coke. Okay, I might need to. <clears throat> Apple flavored Coke, which was reportedly super difficult to track down after its recent launch in Japan. You oh talk, my! You talk about that a little bit, and uh, reminds me of reading a story yesterday about Kit Kats, which have of late they've been um, kind of pulling the Oreo thing and coming up with yeah. some unusual flavors, and they apparently have some coming out this year, including chocolate cream pie, orange creamsicle, and cherry cola. Kit Kats. Kit Kats. Okay, that's just wrong. I, I agree. I mean, the orange, I mean, everything orange cream is usually pretty good, but even that's kind Why of Why isn't Congress on this? You know, they're, they're distracted by all these other things. Why aren't they on this? This should be illegal. I mean, the reality of it is, is how difficult is it in this day and age to impeach a Kit Kat? Yeah, that's a good, good question. I mean, that should be something both, you know, both halls go for very easily. Bipartisan. Bipartisan vote. Absolutely. But, of course, it would require good taste. Oh, and I also and I'm forgot not sure we're cotton find candy that. was the fourth one. Cotton candy, Tic Tac. Cotton candy, Kit Kat. Kit Kat. Tic Tac, Kit Kat. I don't know what we're talking about. They're both single, they're, they're both single uh, syllable hyphenated names. Mm. Yuck and yuck. There you go. Yep. Well, if you're looking to make some extra cash while driving an iconic piece of history, here's your chance. Oscar Mayer is hiding, uh, hiring rather hot doggers to drive the Wienermobile across the country. The company announced it's looking for recent college grads on the hunt for a new job to be part of the 2020 class of hot doggers. The 12 full-time paid one-year employees will have the opportunity to represent Oscar Mayer in radio and television appearances, grocery store events, and charity functions. There will also be a two-week training session that includes selecting your official hot dogger name, uh, learning hot dog puns, and mastering parallel parking. Parking the 27-foot hot dog on wheels, which has been right here at our office uh, here at KPDQ. The company says it received thousands of resumes for the position last year. If you're interested, submit your resume and cover letter via email or mail by Friday, the 31st of this month, uh, and you can reference the official job description. You know, we've had those guys here a couple times, guys and gals, and uh, I think that's universally something somebody from our staff will always ask when we venture down there. So how do you guys wind up with that job? Now you know. Now you know. And speaking of, I saw an interesting thing. You know, we talk about some of these uh, interesting temporary jobs to go check out swimming pools and stuff yeah. like that. I saw one the other day um, that I would have mentioned, but it's for the UK only. So unfortunately, we can't apply. It was a four-week short-term job in Orlando Ooh. to visit every theme park and review it from every hotel each of them have. So Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, all of it for a month. And you have to be a, a British a UK, citizen? Yeah, you have to be a UK, wow. which does give us enough time to emigrate, I suppose. Yeah, can you look into that? But uh, I was like, paid, and you get all this stuff free, and you get paid on top of it. 
It's wow. like, um, yes, please. Especially <laughs> this time of year with what may be coming next week. Uh, you know, a little bit of the flaky white stuff that. coming that. I, I, I take a month in Orlando. I am all for that. Speaking of the white stuff, two uh, teen snowboarders lost in a Canadian backcountry came up with an innovative way to explain why their homework wasn't done. Well, these two teenagers were rescued on Monday from the Canadian backcountry. They burned their homework to stay warm through the night after getting lost in poor weather conditions. The boys were 16. They failed re- to return home on Sunday after their snowboarding out, uh, outing at the Whitewater Ski Resort near Nelson in southern British Columbia. A 10-member uh, group uh, patrolled the area, eventually found them. But uh, what they had to say when they returned... We burnt our homework. Oh, ho, ho, ho. now there was a big, you know, uh, a lot of attention, a big uh, news story around all of this. So they were legitimately lost, burning the homework, and therefore not having the assignment of it ready on time. I wonder how the uh, educators responded to that. You know, twenty years ago—that's uh, more like thirty years ago—it's a plausible excuse. But uh, now it's like, surely you have a backup on a flash drive. Mm. Of course, it, it apparently was paper. That's what I'm saying. It, how do you how do you own and who who does a pro, anything on just paper anymore? <laughs> well, there is that. They were out in the wilderness, so they didn't have Wi-Fi. I'm guessing. Anyway, that's why I'm an indoor pet. I burned my homework, lost in the wilderness. See, that would never happen to me because I don't get lost in the wilderness because I don't go in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, I'm always pet. indoors. Yeah, that's true. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, having fun on a Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon, taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news of the last, well, short season. Well, you yes, know, we it are. It does feel like a while since we've done a Friday fun. It has property. been a while. It probably has been a month, actually. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, you know, we are in election year. It's now officially 2020. There's an election coming up in that November. That means candidates can start to announce their, their their plan to run. We can start to see maybe debates in a few months. Wouldn't it be wonderful if oh, it wait. all just started now oh, instead of 15 gracious. years ago? It's worse than Christmas. Well, Elizabeth Warren has revealed in her campaigning some things that are relatively unusual. Well, in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election, the top Democratic candidates are apparently facing increasing scrutiny over well, their faces. Cosmopolitan Magazine, which is smack in the middle of its Candidates Come to Cosmo coverage, really, have we come to that, recently sat down with Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's 70 to discuss a variety of issues, including, but not limited to, her plans to overhaul the health care system, her feelings on the current state of campaigning, inequality and sexual harassment in the workplace, President Trump's foreign policy concerning Iran, and, since this is Cosmo, her skincare routine. Now, raise your hand if you care about Elizabeth Warren's skincare routine, or for that matter, any other of the candidates, including the current president of the United States. Well, Warren wasn't alone in divulging her skincare secrets. The magazine had also previously published similar interviews with Pete Buttigieg, don't care, Amy Klobuchar, don't care, Cory Booker, don't care, Bernie Sanders and former uh, candidate Kamala Harris, don't care, grilling each about similar topics before ending with the same question. What is your skincare routine? Maybe I should pause and ask you, James, what is your skincare routine? Uh, every day I make sure it's still there, and then I make sure it's clean. Enough said. That would be it. Well, it's Warren's... facially, I do make sure that it's occasionally uh, you know, shaved. Shaved, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You have to do that. Well, uh, uh, in Warren's answer, the uh, that's what generated the controversy. I mean, everyone was asked the same question. She answered, ponds, 
moisturizer every morning, every night, and I never wash my face. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Warren further explained that she took her regi- regimen from an older cousin named Tootsie, whom Warren described as having fantastic skin. Well, experts who spoke to Huffington Post have since described Warren's routine as being a little too lax, telling the outlet that not washing at all is not ideal. Now, I'm guessing when she's in the shower, she probably washes her face. But anyway, throughout the day, the skin accumulates dirt from the environment. Oils are uh, your skin um, produces, sweat your skin produces, makeup if you have it on, unwanted debris in the environment ends up on your face throughout the day. Pollutants, bacteria, viruses, all of that. And then you have dead cells. If you don't cleanse, you don't remove that. The layer just remains. A board-certified dermatologist uh, said of the response. Well, following uh, Warren's admission, Twitter largely reacted in disbelief, though some claim that her skin likely had more to do with genetics than anything else. Though suggesting that genes play a role in her exceptional skin. Does she have exceptional skin? Well, what what do we know about her genetics? That's the question. Let's be honest here. Let's not go there. (laughs) I know. I'm just saying. (laughs) That already is a question mark. Anyway, her exceptional skin, as they're describing it, may not be far off, according to the study from Olay, as in oil of, uh, conducted in conjunction with the Harvard Medical School, cited by such outlets as Elle, Today, and Refinery29. No idea. The results indicate that some 3,500 female participants studied, those who uh, were ranked as having younger-looking skin than their age would suggest, were found to share a common gene expression profile. So there you have it. There we have it, indeed. So if you're looking for fashion or uh, dating, she also offered some dating advice. Or if you're looking for skincare advice, look to the political candidates. Hasn't Elizabeth Warren been married for quite quite some time? I think so, but she offered does, dating advice. Does, does she does she have Tinder tips for everybody? Or is that? I mean, you know, <laughs> no I'm, idea. Not not for anything. The dating world has changed just in the time I've been married. <laughs> I did, don't ask me. I so just, I, I'm not sure that it would be relevant. I'm I just find saying. it amazing that uh, political candidates are discussing such issues because they will likely come up at the G8 or, you know, who knows. Sarah Marie Clark is 18. Um, she used to tweeze her eyebrows despite Ow. her uh, mother warning her not to, to go overboard and make them too thin. Well, Sarah says that she's always known that uh, she was able to grow a monobrow, but just like everyone else, I used to remove it without really thinking about it. I didn't think it was an option to keep. Well, she has now decided not to trim her unibrow, and she says she now is inundated with dating requests. Now, I don't know if she got that advice from Elizabeth Warren on the campaign trail. But well, it, you would know, that be part of her skincare regimen or I, her dating I advice? I do not know, but I got to thinking, you know, women of a certain age tend to sprout, you know, a random hair here and there. I'm thinking if this teenager who says that this unibrow is now generating real interest from the opposite sex, I say grow the hair out. Uh, let's start uh, donning, not, I say let's as if this is something I've experienced personally. I'm just speaking generally from what I've heard because... Uh, <clears throat> You know, only certain women of a certain age have hairs that sprout out, you know, around the chin. I say grow the thing out, do a comb over, start to accessorize. Who knows? It might become uh, more attractive. Hey, it worked for the unibrow teen. You never know. Just a thought. Well, Vogue magazine in Italy is looking um, a bit old-fashioned in its first issue of the new year and decade. Um, altogether eschewing photo shoots in favor of more environmentally sustainable illustrations. 
Now, the thing that's interesting to me about this story is the magazine, which is printed on paper, which is discarded once the magazine is out of date, decided they're not going to do photo shoots, but they did still print the paper magazine. Aren't photos be more digital these days, so you really don't need to print yeah. them up? So in order to be more environmentally favorable, they printed the magazine but didn't put pictures in them. And then they donned illustrations that looked like three-year-olds drew them. Oh, no, that's not that's not the case at all. My, my, my daughter drew better than that. Three. <laughs> well, the new edition reportedly marks the first time a Vogue magazine has been photo-free since the introduction of photography in its pages. 150 people involved, about 20 flights and a dozen or so train journeys, 40 cars on standby. That's what they were trying to avoid. Now, why not? I mean, you know, you're in Italy. Why not just take the pictures in popular places in Italy? I don't know. I don't think it's very photo- photogenic there, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they printed the magazine, but they just didn't put the pictures in it, which is why you buy a magazine. And they just have these hand-drawn uh, illustrations that literally look like they were drawn by children with um, who are nearsighted. This is the wow. oddest thing I've ever seen. Well, then I thought you might want to to uh, get an update on Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. I know I, I'm I losing often, sleep over it. I often want – I wake up in the middle of the night wanting to know what they're up to. Well, the latest is that Oprah Winfrey apparently advised them on an exit strategy. Well, Oprah is now speaking, and she says that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's royal exit uh, was done without her help. I am so relieved to know, you know, the latest. Apparently the Queen's mad, the – uh, the father uh, and father-in-law is threatened to withdraw his financial support. And uh, the whole world is in an uproar. And I know that uh, you and I have both lost sleep over this, that, uh, you know, joy has just been leaking out of my life now that uh, the two of them have made this announcement without the Queen's prior knowledge. And I, I just don't know what the world is coming to. I just want to see if I can get his job when he leaves. <laughs> yeah, really. I think they work something like 90 days out of the year, and that's essentially yeah. showing up, shaking hands, smiling, and being photographed. I could do that. It's uh, it's tough. It is I, tough. I do think it's, it's funny that it's taking less time for the, the royals to have yeah. to have met, gotten married, and then leave the royal family. And about half the time it's taken for Brexit so far. <laughs> Yeah, there might be something to be gleaned from that. Maybe, whole thing. maybe Harry and Meghan should have been the ones negotiating. In of it. Yeah, negotiating Brexit. I think you might be on to something. Uh, by the way, um, there's a woman who's claiming she predicted all of this. Harry and uh, Meghan's splitting from the royal family. Everybody I... predicted all of this. <laughs> what are you talking about? But she read asparagus spears, and apparently, the way the asparagus, sort of the, the limp uh, head of an asparagus, indicated to her that this was uh, what was going to happen. She's 64 years old, and uh, she's actually got some print in media. I, I, I saw visions of this in my mashed potatoes. Did that going to get me some print in media? <laughs> I had those, um, I had those the other day. something. Yeah, yeah. Oh. French fries for me, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple of um, married aboard an airplane halfway between Australia and New Zealand. A New Zealand woman... And an Australian man celebrated their home countries and love of aviation by marrying in the air halfway between their home countries. Aww. The New Zealander and the Australianer uh, took Jetstar Flight 201 from Sydney to Auckland and exchanged vows at 37,000 feet while they hit the halfway point between the two countries. The ceremony was officiated by a Jetstar ground crew member. The couple said airplanes have always been a big part of their relationship. They met in 2011 as 
uh, players uh, of the airport city computer game and first met in person at the Sydney airport two years later. A Jetstar representative told CNN all customers who've been booked on the flight received an email beforehand saying they were going to be uh, filmed. Uh, the customers were allowed to uh, change flights without uh, any charge uh, if they didn't want to be on camera. But um, the happy couple did, in fact, marry mid-flight, mid-air between the two countries. I mean, it does bring bring up the, the, the logistic question of... Uh... Uh, jurisdiction. I mean, is you know, is it an Australian wedding or a, or a New Zealand wedding? I mean, yeah, that's a don't good you point. have to file your? I mean, I don't, I don't presume those countries are similar to ours, and that you have to file a wedding license and and indicate where the wedding took place, county and you know, for us it's county and state and stuff like that. But middle of air, international waters. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just hope they register their wedding at the UN. <laughs> just hope that they're actually married and don't find out at some point. That's what I'm future. saying. Is make sure, yeah, make sure it's really on the think. up and up. Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments, I guess, to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend in tow. Yeah, well, and the rest of me. Well, yes, the rest of you. Uh, taking a look at what's coming up, at least in part, next week. On Monday, we're going to talk with Steve Wilkins. He's the author of What's So Funny About God? A Theological Look at Humor. You might want to sit in on that one, James, being a comedian yourself. And by the way, that reminds me, you heard uh, in the first hour, uh, comedian Nazareth is going to be in the Portland area at... Uh, uh, Northwest Christian Church, Tiger Campus. Tiger Campus on Tomorrow Saturday night at night. 6 p.m. Now, let me ask you, if uh, folks haven't yet purchased tickets but decide at the last minute, oh, I want to go, can they purchase yeah, them there? Yeah, there'll be some at the door. Okay. There'll definitely be some at the 6 door. 6 o'clock p.m. Yep. Uh, but uh, if you, you know, certainly uh, buy them now, it still can, kp2q.com. Hop online right up until showtime because we do charge a little more at the door. But uh, if you can get, you can get the advanced price Right up until about 4 o'clock tomorrow. Okay, good. And I should mention that while Comedian Nazareth is worth the, the price of admission, James Blend is going to be opening for Nazareth. So that's uh, Making that's Nazareth look better. <laughs> no comment. Anyway, that's up Monday. What's so funny about God? A theological look at humor. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Ilya Foktisviov. I need to work on that. Yeah, they, they did send over the pronunciation. They did. I don't have it in front of me. I, I look at it and go, this, this ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the title of the book, Terror in the Cradle of Liberty, How Boston Became a Center for Islamic Extremism. That's coming up on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we're going to talk with John Schneider. He is executive director of Nursing Home Ministries. He served as an uh, ev um, evangelical pastor for many, many years here in the Portland metro area and has now served with Nursing Home Ministries for many years as well. Uh, looking forward to a conversation with him and an update on the work that he and others are doing, ministering to those who are in nursing homes all throughout the metro area and reminding us of the value of sharing the gospel with these um, men and women who are on the edge of eternity. On Thursday, we'll talk with Beth and David Borum. They are the authors, co-authors of When Faith Becomes Sight, Opening Your Eyes to God's Presence All Around You, the book published by InterVarsity Press. And then on Friday, we're looking forward, as has been our practice for many years, 
years, I yes. think since the very beginning. We're going to broadcast live from Mission Connection Northwest this year at Rolling Hills Community Church. By the way, it's uh, there's still time to register. As you might recall, the event is free, but you must pre-register. That's a security issue. So go to Mission Connection Northwest 2020 uh, for all the important details there. Again, admission is free, uh, and but you must pre-register. It is sponsored by a number of area churches. We're going to be broadcasting live from Rolling Hills Community Church uh, in the lobby there. So if you happen to be there for the first session or a little early, uh, check us out. We'll be probably close to the entrance. That's yeah, typically we're going to be in about the same be. place we were last year, which yeah. is just when you walk into the door a little bit to the right. Um, and there we are set up uh, at a table. And we have been doing that a long time. I was thinking about that yeah. the other day because uh, coming up next week is my annual anniversary as producer of the show. And what the, one of the things I did that very first week as producer was we went out on that remote. Yeah. 16 years ago. Oh, 16 years ago. Yep. Happy almost anniversary. Oh, thanks. Anyway, that's the lineup for uh, for next week. And again, if you want to come to Mission Connection, the event is free, but you must pre-register. Go to Mission Connection. And that's always spelled with an X uh, for more information. Mission Connection. 2020. Well, more people engaged with the Bible app this year than in any previous year. That's in 2019. version. They offer the popular um, option to read or listen to the Bible on your phone. They have 400 million users worldwide. Announced their most popular Bible verse from uh, this year or 2019, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. The verse reads in the New Living Translation, yours may read a little bit differently, uh, says version founder Bobby Grunwald, uh, we're encouraged to see so many people turning to the Bible in response to their worries, remembering what God has done in their lives and choosing to trust in his faithfulness. Well, with a uh, verse of the day reading plan and other ways to access the Bible, version's leader says that we're humbled by the opportunity to see lives changed in every country of the world. So Philippians 4, 6 is a pretty good one to start out uh, the year 2020 as well, but you might want to um, hold on to a, a scripture to carry you through the early part of the year. You may want to check out version as a Bible verse of the day will remind you to look to God's word. And again, Philippians 4, 6 was last year's most popular Bible verse. We'll close the program with that. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's already done. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program. Clark Hilton for engineering. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.